This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Wellplayed, BFM's video game show. In conjunction with the release of the Gran Turismo movie now showing in cinemas, we're going to talk about the franchises taking power in a sea of other races out there, as well as a quick update on how Gran Turismo 7 is doing a year on from the release. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the industry with the dynamic duo Daryl Ong and of Neil Ding. Thank you, Hanif. Our first news this week is that the older version of the popular fantasy MMORPG, Old School RuneScape, is about to receive its first new skill since its existence over a decade ago. In a remarkable acknowledgement of Old School RuneScape's enduring popularity, developer Jagex has dedicated significant time and effort to consistently enhance the game with fresh content and updates. Now, an intriguing new skill is looming on the horizon and it's none other than the skill of sailing. Mm, That's right, this proposed sailing skill is an immersive concept that has the potential to revolutionise the gameplay experience for many devoted players. In a 10-minute presentation, Jagex developers unveiled the intricacies of the sailing skill. The highlight was the evolution of vessels and ships growing larger, more advanced and customizable as players progress through levels. This skill promises to unlock a host of novel activities including enhanced fishing, mining as well as combat features. The scope of this venture is nothing short of ambitious, I mean even for those who haven't engaged with RuneScape for years like yourself Ofnil. A 10 minute video released by Jagak has stirred a unique excitement. The preview showcased captivating elements like aquariums, ocean based raids, novel resources and environments legendary items, fresh quests and opportunities for companionship. However, the fate of old school RuneScape's maiden new skill rests squarely in the hands of the community, the players themselves. A poll has been opened up on the RuneScape website, accompanied by an extensive knowledge-based document meticulously breaking down every conceivable facet of this potential update. While the consensus seems likely to embrace this evolution, it's heartening to see that Jagex is actively involving the community in this momentous decision. Earlier this month, the current version of RuneScape, which is different compared to Old School RuneScape has released its first new combat skill in over 20 years, the Necromancy, which introduces nine new quests, two challenging boss fights, and the all-new Necromancy skill specialization. Mm. So gamers, what's your stand on the idea of embarking on a sailing adventure within Old School RuneScape? The future of a game is quite literally in your hands. Or sales. Moving on, in a significant move within the gaming industry, Sega has finalised its acquisition of Rovio, uh, which is the developer behind the iconic Angry Birds franchise. The purchase was completed with hefty investment of 776 million US dollars, marking a strategic step for Sega into the mobile gaming arena. The acquisition, first proposed in April, has now come to fruition after navigating through finalisation processes and regulatory requirements. While the days of Angry Birds' massive pop popularity might seem distant, Sega believes that this move will provide a stronger foothold in the mobile gaming market. Rovio's portfolio extends beyond Angry Birds, encompassing titles like Sugar Blast, a match 3 puzzler, and Small Town Murders, a narrative mystery game. While this may not be as high profile as some other IPs, Sega's purchase offers more than just recognisable franchises. That's right, this acquisition means Sega gains a well-established infrastructure for publishing, developing, and promoting mobile games through this, and are well prepared to create their own mobile titles based on their own IPs, games such as Sonic the Hedgehog, Like a Dragon, 
Persona and more. The potential is even broader with the opportunity to port numerous older games onto mobile platforms. Beyond Sega's exciting franchises, it's highly likely that more Angry Bird mobile games will be on the horizon. Despite the initial frenzy of the late 2000s having subdued, Angry Birds remain a valuable brand with movies, TV shows and unique ventures such as a team restaurant in New York City. Collaborating the feisty birds with Sega's iconic Blue Hedgehog could also potentially rejuvenate a once legendary mobile hit. So will we soon be flinging Sonic alongside our feisty Leo birds at those infamous screen picks? Maybe like a Marvel vs Capcom, mm. who knows, only mm. time will tell. But one thing is certain, the gaming landscape is in for an interesting transformation as Sega and Rovio's paths converge. Okay, last but not least, we've got some exciting news from the world of PC gaming. Baldur's Gate 3 has taken the spotlight with an astonishing achievement, earning the highest score from PC Gamer in 16 years. Mm. Yes, you heard that right. The renowned gaming magazine PC Gamer has awarded Baldur's Gate 3 an impressive score of 97%, and this accolade makes it the highest scoring game in the magazine's history over the last 16 years. Mm, this score is no small feat, resonating both across the US and UK editions of PC Gamer. To put this into perspective, the UK's edition has never rated the game above 96% in its nearly three-decade history of reviewing PC games. The rarity of top scores in the magazine's history is deliberate. A scoring guide sets the bar high, receiving scores above 90 for games that go beyond excellence. Baldur's Gate 3 not only met but exceeded those standards, blending elements from past top scoring games into a package that captivated both fans as well as newcomers. The decision to award Baldur's Gate 3 this exceptional score was based on its ability to amalgamate the best elements of past top scoring games. PC Gamer highlights the game's successful utilization of early access, which allowed it to deliver a modern, immersive, as well as intricate gaming experience. The impact of Baldur's Gate's tree extends beyond its gameplay mechanics, the game's ability to captivate the PC Gamer team, leading to animated discussions about quests, choices, and characters, has rekindled a sense of community reminiscent of gaming experiences from a decade ago. Its uniqueness lies in the app fusion of storytelling, sandbox exploration, and tabletop-style role-playing, all wrapped in a contemporary presentation. While there's ongoing debate about whether Baldur's Gate 3 sets a new baseline for RPGs, there's no denying its singular achievement with its perfect blend of elements and its impact on the gaming community. It really stands out. The score of 97% marks a milestone in PC gaming history, and it might be some time before we see another game achieve such heights. Baldur's Gate 3 has sold over 5.2 million copies on Steam, with the all-time peak reaching over 870,000 concurrent players 10 days after release and the sales numbers are expected to skyrocket as the game releases on PS5 early next month. Well, that's all the news that we have this week. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Ofniel. If you miss a line in the game, you reset. You miss it on the track, you could die. Who do you think the best driver is? Probably Rory. I would dust him in a lap. Jan, all you do is play video games with some crazy dreams of racing cars. Dad, you're the one that told us to always do something we love. You know what racing cars cost? Look around. It's not our world, son. What is this? It's a contest. The best Gran Turismo players in the world get a chance to compete in professional racing. Dude, this is real. 
This is real. I'm sorry. You really think you're going to take a kid who plays video games in their bedroom, you're going to strap them to a 200-mile-an-hour rocket. It'll tear them to pieces. As the plot of this movie, based on a true story, suggests, Polyphony Digital's Gran Turismo has made its mark in the world of racing. We're not going to talk about that or review the movie, but we are going to reflect a bit on this franchise and what makes it still iconic, unique, and competitive. Joining me on the show to do that is Arif Roos, a long-time fan of the franchise. I mean, I started from Gran Turismo 1 all the way in the PS1. Um, luckily enough, my brother and my sisters were all, you know, into the game. But that was just the time, you know. And from Gran Turismo 1, Gran Turismo 2, the PS1, PS2 days even, it has changed quite a lot. But the concept of it still stays the same, which is all about, you know, car enthusiasts, um, racing. And it's all about being in the spirit of those two things. Uh. So... Even since then, what is it now? Maybe 15 years ago now, since 1998 or 99, mm. uh, since the first game was released, it's gone leaps and bounds. It defines what, uh, you know, what sim racing is. Or what, and, and it can help people also understand you know, what it is like to, to uh, you know, potentially be a real racing driver. So um, through the years, really, um, personally, and I think uh, I, I share this sentiment with a lot of other people online as well as fans of the game. The game is still shows a lot of potential. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it is, um, you know, it is still a masterpiece in that sense because the graphics, the style, um, you know, the the detail that they go into in in the game, uh, in the in the newest game, Gran Turismo Seven, is reflected just as it was back then. So yeah, it's. I think it's still a brilliant, brilliant, great game franchise with uh, much more to see in the future, I'm sure. Mm. What I find quite interesting about the franchise is at one point, especially during those era when uh, I think it was the first, I mean, the first few Gran Turismo's, I think it, it was pretty peerless in the sense that um, it was aiming to be a game that tries to get as close as possible to to being a realistic uh, racer compared to other mm. franchises out there. And I think to a certain extent, um, they managed to be there to a certain extent, you know, at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I remember, you know, when 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 the first Gran Turismo came out, the closest competitor was Project Gotham Racing, I suppose. And and because because there's also that this whole um uh, Polyphony Digital is owned by Sony, and then mm-hmm. it's a cl- console exclusive. So there's always this comparison between, oh, okay, what what does Xbox have to offer, right? So yep. so it's yep. always like, okay, at that time it was Project Gotham Re- Racing, and then eventually now. It's Forza, right? So there's always that competition mm. between, oh, okay, Sony, uh, Polyphony Digital, and Gran Turismo versus like um, what is Microsoft offering, right? Which is like uh, these days it's Forza. Yeah, um, yeah. So so back then, yeah, it was pretty peerless in that sense. But these days, um, especially when um, you have yeah Forza as well um, in, in the market and not to mention other actual simulators like, like you know, um, iRacing, you know, Assetto mm. Corsa, mm. these games. Um, does Gran Turismo actually still hold that title as a quote-unquote realistic simulator. But but the thing is, the thing is, the, the best thing about it is that it's, it never, it can never be super realistic anyway, right, yeah. to be fair, as much as as much as they would like to call it a, a racing simulator of sorts. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. I mean, um, 
Gran Turismo, I think a lot of people are defining it as a simcade, a simulation arcade racing game where, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of what goes on in racing is reflected in the game, such as, you know, how you battle with and race with each other, how you maybe tweak your suspension settings and, you know, when, um, you know, the feedback you get through your sim racing steering wheel and, and all of those kind of stuff. But what really... Um, I guess makes it an arcade sort of thing is the fact that you are more enticed to collect cars. You are more enticed to, you know, go to these legendary racetracks and wonderful locations to take pictures of it. It's more of an experience, uh, you know, a, a simulation <laughs> racing experience rather than, you know, compared to a, a set of Corsa, which um, I play from time to time, but you know, it's one of those a set of Corsa, Competizione, which is the the you know GT World Series uh, official game, that's some serious stuff. You know, you you have on your screen like you know proper telemetry, your tire your tire temperatures, and you have to manage it properly. And it's you know everything is super realistic in that game. But in Gran Turismo, not so much. It's realistic in a way where you actually do feel the dynamics of the car, do feel um, you know like you're in it. And you're actually racing with other people, but you don't really feel you don't really have to deal with the drawbacks of like you know, if you drift around a track too much, you know, uh, you know it'll take another two laps for your tires to cool down. That sort of thing. So you don't really have to manage too many realistic aspects of racing. But um, having said that, um, like recently, I found it to I found Gran Turismo to be quite a uh, a, a game that uh, you know promotes escapism <laughs> if you if you get what I mean mm. um, you know it's the sort of game where you just jump in for for an hour or two and you just race and race and race you come out of it you feel you feel um, you know you feel like you've ticked a, ticked a box for the day it's just enjoyable it's uh, non-stressful um, it's a perfect game just to unwind and just jump in jump in on a track in a car and for for a, for a couple of hours so mm. yeah. I think um, it's probably not the most, you know, realistic game, racing game out there, but it does it really, really, really well, um, despite uh, it, it does simulate uh, racing really, really well, despite not, you know, being super serious in that sense. Hmm. Is that its strength, though, to a certain extent? Because it's, it's to a certain extent, and then the term that you use just now is Simkate, right? Is that how, I guess, Gran Turismo become as iconic as it is now? The fact that it's trying to, simulate quote unquote the real life experience of driving and racing but at the same time it doesn't take itself too seriously to a point where it becomes um, less accessible to I guess gamers essentially you know people who at the end of the day yeah. want to have fun who want to I guess get into the virtual racetrack to just drive around and uh, right. and race but at the same time not to the point where they have to worry so much about the little details that are more present in quote unquote the more serious racing simulators out there yeah, exactly. You, you, I mean, that's exactly right. Um, I think they have to do it this way so that, um, you know, Gran Turismo remains um, the premier title for Sony and Polyphony Digital. And, you know, the appeal of Gran Turismo goes beyond, um, you know, car enthusiasts like me. It also uh, extends towards um, people like you who may be not too interested in racing or not too aware of um Formula One or Grand GT racing and all that stuff, but it's interesting. It's um, serious enough to put you in 
the mood, but it's not serious enough to make you feel frustrated. You still can be inspired to do things like currently, you know, I'm, and you're still inspired to to do things and have fun with cars. Like, for example, I think in Gran Turismo's most recent update in August, they actually released uh, an ambulance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah to- Toyota Hi's ambulance. And, you know, when are you going to go racing with that? But a lot of people have found, a lot of people online have found, you know, lots of fun just taking it out on these famous Nürburgring racetracks and, uh, you know, com- make, souping it up and com- making it compete against one of the world's best supercars. And, you know, those sort of things that you could never imagine happening in real life. And uh, uh, it's just a little bit of fun and a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit of fun, actually. Um, this game um, never really takes itself too seriously, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the greatest thing about it. That was Arif Roos sharing his thoughts on Sony and Polyphony Digital's Gran Turismo. We're going to make way for some messages, more after this, including a look at Gran Turismo 7 a year on. Stay tuned, this is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharuddin. Joining me on the show today is Arif Roos, former host of our car show, Cruise Control. He's also a huge fan of Gran Turismo, a subject of our chat today in conjunction with the release of the movie recently. We've reflected on the franchise a bit earlier and we're going to continue with that chat as well as look at the state of Gran Turismo 7 a year later as well as Arif's experience playing the game with a sim racing wheel. Why do you keep coming back to this game? Considering that, I think um, apart from being a, a serious uh, gamer in terms of, I guess, racing games to a certain extent, and you have played, um, apart from this franchise, you have played other franchises as well, including, you know, the other more serious mm-hmm. racing simulations um, that we've mentioned uh, earlier, like Assetto Corsa, you know, iRacing yeah. you know, and not. Um, what makes you keep coming back to Gran Turismo? You know, what's the appeal of Gran Turismo compared to all those other games especially because you 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 also mm. know how to drive like i mean quite drive know how to drive as you know real cars as well so <laughs> so so with that experience you know what makes you prefer or still keep coming back to gran turismo compared to uh, other games uh well i think if i compare it so uh, you know I'll, I'll just put these three titles out like you know forza to me is a very arcadey game it reminds me of uh, those days where you just you know turn up at an arcade and jump in a car and do things with it or race with each other and your friends, right? That's, to me, easy fun. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Assetto Corsa, or Competizione, and that's uh, super serious. Um, And I would normally, you know, play that maybe once in a couple of months, mainly because of how serious it feels. And I would only be inspired to do that when I watch, like, you know, 24-hour races in real life uh, through YouTube and, and and I feel like, you know, what if I could do this? You know, I want to imagine myself as a racing driver. I want to, you know, I want to learn how to manage my tires, learn how to manage temperatures. You know, what does it feel like? That's what Assetto Corsa Competizione is like. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's probably the close, one of the closest things to real life racing. 
But Gran Turismo, Turismo, on the other hand, kind of appeals to me, uh, you know, like like a car enthusiast. Um, uh, You know, revel in in the whole world of cars and whether it may be classic cars, whether it may be the most quirky, the, the weirdest concept cars, the, you know, the rarest racing cars, you know, growing up uh, with watching a lot of racing and watching a lot of racing cars as well, uh, Gran Turismo is the perfect and the most ideal game for us to, you know, relive, possibly relive those experiences. And also, you know, just going on the fact that, you know, as a car enthusiast, um, I like many, many different cars and it just so happens that you can buy all of these cars in in Gran Turismo and there's an element of living your dream or you know I wonder what it would feel like if I did this to this car so like for example in Gran Turismo currently I don't even I hardly even race online anymore um, because I normally you know at the end of a work day I would just jump on my sim rig turn on the PlayStation and just you know buy a few cars here and there tune it a little bit. I wonder what it feels like if I could, you know, if I, you know, if I change the setup a little bit, if the suspension is a little bit too hard, if I change it like this, you know, it's a little bit of discovery, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, doing things that you never thought you could do because of how vast the wild, the wide world of cars is. And that's what Gran Turismo is. It lets you experience so many varieties of cars in so many different ways in ways that you want to or in ways that uh, you're supposed to. So, you know, it's an element of living your dream always in Gran Turismo. And it, I think it's that is also one of its strengths. Mm. Um, we spoke about realism from, from I guess, the driving experience to a certain extent. Um, but one of the game's core strengths um, is also the graphics, right? And mm. I think at one point... <laughs> It, again, it was pretty peerless, especially on consoles uh, back then. But when uh, I think Forza sort of like changed that as well to a certain extent, if you, mm. you could argue. Um, and I think as much as Gran Turismo is still uh, pretty much one of the best looking games out there, uh, especially when it comes to races, um, these days the competition is a bit tighter, right? Uh, so mm. uh, do you think that's really a problem when it comes to, I guess, um, I mean, does it put a dent to, to, to the franchise's um, legacy or reputation now that, I, I guess, Forza looks as good as Gran Turismo, if not better. You know, people argue sometimes, oh, Forza looks better mm. or sometimes <laughs> the, the sound recreation is better compared to Gran Turismo because Gran Turismo also prides itself in, in I guess, um, reproducing the sounds of, the actual sounds of, of the cars out there, right? Yeah, so yeah. so do, do you think that that's, uh, that puts a den of sorts to, to, to the legacy and the reputation of the game, especially now, now that they have, you know, proper competition out there, I suppose? I th- I don't think so honestly because I think like um even Forza like the I think the latest game is very very beautiful but you know it still seems very um arcadey in a sense where the sense of speed is not there mm-hmm. um rather you you know you're traveling at 250 kilometers an hour on in Forza and you don't really feel like the traffic you don't feel the traffic being reflected to that speed or you don't feel the environment reflected to that speed. And some might say, you know, it's a similar criticism with uh, Gran Turismo 7. But when you, you know, I've seen videos of uh, people playing PSVR 2 with Gran Turismo 7 and or just, you know, driving around in the cockpit view. That really 
those views really show the true differences in quality. I think I think these days also generally in games, you know, it's uh, graphics are are you know almost every game has unique and beautiful graphics with sharp, you know, super clear. The shaders are perfect. The reflections are perfect. But I think what makes it what makes Gran Turismo hugely different and unique from all the rest of the video games, uh, the racing video games at least, is that it is the the the, the style is very photorealistic, and it's uh, you know they have a whole segment of the game just dedicated to uh, putting your dream car in a dream location, and when you take pictures uh, in that mode, it is. Super, super photorealistic. And I mean, I even use it as one of my computer wallpapers right now because that's how real it looks and feels. Um, and, just, you know, just going back on the sense of speed thing, um, that, especially in racing game, is very important. And if you're trying to re- replicate, you know, real life or, simu- or you know, at least simulate it, um, so that's something that I think maybe two or th- maybe three titles get it right. One of them is Gran Turismo. The other one is uh, iRacing sometimes does it right. And then Assetto Corsa Competizione because it is an official, you know, GT World Series game. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be a problem for Gran Turismo because they are such a huge franchise. They've got <laughs> basically backed by Sony. So, you know, they, they are bound to have, to me, um, and always an edge on everybody else because of how... Um, you know, photorealistic it is and feels uh, in the game. All right. Okay. Let's talk about Grand Turismo 7. The last time you were on the show, uh, we spoke about, um, you gave your impressions of the game uh, when it was just mm. released. Uh, you played it for, I think, I think at the time we spoke after you played it for, I think, a week or something. A few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. yeah. maybe a week. Yeah. But so now you've played the game consistently for almost a year. It's been a year plus since the game was released. I think um, you've obviously. Um, still playing the game regularly and you've also if I'm not mistaken have gotten a, a specific rig for the game right yeah so, yes. so yeah uh, tell me more about about the difference um, in terms of playing it using a, a controller versus uh, using a rig for it yeah I think um, back then when we spoke about this at first also uh, we were mainly comparing it between the PS4 and PS5 versions and I think we said like you know because PS5 back then had also just been launched or something like that right Mm. And people were talking about like, uh, what's the controller called? Um, Dual Sense. You know, yeah, yeah Dual Sense, and how amazing that was, and how amazing uh, a lot of people were saying it was. But uh, you know, after spending about nine months playing on controller, I sort of fell out of love with the game. Didn't think about it, but I still loved racing. I still wanted to do to race, so I decided to invest in a sim rig. Uh, you know, which is some sort of foldable picnic chair with a steering wheel attached to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not cheap, but to me, that uh, buying the rig simply elevated the game's experience to another level um, because, uh, you know, you are immediately transported into racing because of how clear the graphics are, because of the feedback that you feel. Um, you know, real life driving techniques come into play where you have to break in a straight line uh, and, you know, you have to control your, you have to drive your, your car with the throttle and the brake pedal rather than just the steering wheel, you know. So those sort of sensations cannot be replicated. And um, 
I think midway through this year, sometime maybe in March and April, they released an update um, that had to do with you know um, the, the that had to do with the feedback, force feedback in the steering wheels and how how much you feel in it. And I think a lot of people came back into the game after the update because you know they they, they fixed it. They they made it more communicable. You, you start to feel more involved with the races. And you just really don't mind, um, you know, just sitting there for a, f- a couple or a few hours, just driving around a racetrack and pretending that you are, you know, living your dream. Um, but yeah, honestly, if if uh, if if uh, but yeah, you know, honestly, if uh, since buying the rig, I've always fe- I've always felt like no matter how much money I spent on it, it's well worth it. Because uh, you know, at least I keep the racing of the the streets in the real life. So uh, <laughs> people say it's uh, people say it's not real. Like you know, if if you feel like you you want to drive fast in real life, um, you can put that on the you know you should put that in a video game. And in this case, it kind of works for me. I don't even feel like driving fast anymore. I just sort of putter around town like everybody else. But mm-hmm. you know, get home on the same racing rig and you can let it all out, go sideways, <laughs> all of that. Mm. So, is it worth the investment? Because because I think yeah, to a certain extent, uh, I mean, obviously you have to be serious enough to 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 mm. to be able to invest in that kind of rig, I suppose. Uh, but um, if you're really quite unquote serious about your racing simulator, um, do you think people should invest in in a rig like this? Um, especially for for a game like Gran Turismo. I think if you're like, if you want to feel the full extent of what racing games can offer, um, yes, get it because. Um, playing on controllers is one thing and sitting in the same rig, uh, you know, actually feeling the car uh, and being able to control minute movements in the car, that's that really elevates the, the whole racing game experience by tenfold, I would say. <laughs> it's the re- I mean, I would also say like, you know, in, in the past few years, there's been quite a lot of technological advancements in terms of these sim rigs. Um, particularly because everybody was starting to buy Formula One games, Forza became more serious in that sense, and there's been so many new uh, other racing simulators as well. So that um, you know, the whole sim racing industry has been elevated in that sense. And I think if you had already spent, you know, what was it, three hundred ringgit for Gran Turismo Seven? iRacing can cost you even more sometimes. A set of Corsa with all the expansion packs can cost even more. It's just, you know, if you're spending that much money, just get the Simric because I think you won't be impressed by, uh, by the control experience. It's just not there. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, no regrets, honestly. <laughs> Um, are there any? I mean, I mean, not to randomly promote brands, but but um, are there any specific brands that you would perhaps recommend for people out there? Um, or you know, any sim rig you know would be good enough. Well, um, I think budget is an important thing because these things are quite expensive. I picked up my sim rig. It's a Thrustmaster T three hundred RS. It's been around for like five years already, but they've had so many software and uh, you know changes. And updates to the steering wheel and the system that it's you know it's essentially uh, the most reliable and the most value for money. So 
thr the Thrustmaster is worth investing in. Uh, I had a Logitech steering wheel before. Um, those use sort of like gears to simulate force feedback and that, you know, I would be playing in my room and my mom would be complaining about how noisy it sounds because it's, it's literally just clack, 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 clack all day. Um, mm. For the Thrustmaster and various other wheels, they use belts, which is uh, much quieter and much more responsive in terms of feedback as well. But um, Logitech is the cheapest. They cost you about, you know, 800 to 1,000. I bought my Thrustmaster from somebody else who thought he could get into racing, but decided he didn't have the time. So I got it for about one and a half thousand. And then you can step up to, you know, something called direct drive wheels, which, you know, some of them are actually powered by escalator belts, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is very, very interesting. So they can provide, you know, more than enough torque to actually break your hand. You know, those are the sort of rigs that real life racing drivers use to train and, uh, you know, um, even, you know, Gran Turismo, like, uh, you know, Gran Turismo races will use uh, in real life as well. So um, those, you know, maybe will cost about 3000 to 5000 And if you get the seats, you know, with all the branding and all that stuff, these rigs can cost you, you know, north of 7000 ringgit, I'm sure. But if you just want to get, you know, if you've got a screen and you just want to, you know, let me race. If you're just that sort of person that wants to go racing um, and to feel like they're racing, you know, I think a simple setup like mine, uh, 1,900 bought secondhand off Facebook Marketplace, those sort of stuff really work. And they really put you into the driver's seat, pun intended. Mm -hmm. What's the installation process like? Um, is it like a bit finicky or like is as seamless as possible? Um, plug in and play, honestly. I mean, if you're on the PlayStation, um, literally any of these wheels um, should should be plug in and play. And, you know, if you want to go up to the next level, you can buy, uh, uh, you know, a manual gear shifter and plug in and play as well. But really, when you buy the rig, everything is pre-installed. Even when I plug in my, you know, wheel into my computer to play a set of Corsa, that's, you know, it's like one or two drivers and you're pretty much good to go. Mm -hmm. um, right. One thing I will say though, when you're buying these rigs is sometimes they too, do take a do take up a lot of space. Um, hmm. I mean, obviously, it's just a racing seat in the middle of a living room or your computer, right? So <laughs> you're going to have to sacrifice some space for your, from your workstation or your, uh, you know, your office chair. But what I got was essentially a foldable racing rig, which, which like I said, is essentially a foldable picnic chair with a stand. And then you stick a, <laughs> a steering wheel on it and it simulates the exact driving position that you would experience in a racing car. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty of videos like this that you can find online to help you, you know, suit your driving style, suit your budget and suit what you're looking for. Of course, you can always just buy the, buy the steering wheel, stick it on your table and use your swivel office chair to drive. Really is no problem. Mm, all right. Yeah. Is, is the chair sturdy enough to considering that it's foldable? Sometimes these, these types of chairs can, can be not sturdy enough, I suppose. They are. What I've got is something called a Placey Challenge. And um, it's, uh, like, it's not super sturdy, but um, I would say it adds to the, you know, to the, uh, to the simulation. You simulate G-forces because sometimes <laughs> the steering wheel would, you know, the force feedback would be a bit too strong and you feel the 
flex of the seat a little bit. But then, you know, in, in real life racing, you're likely to be thrown around the car. So um, <laughs> that's the whole, to the whole experience, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Going back to the game. Uh, yeah. A, a year plus on since the release of the game. And I guess to a certain extent, yeah, you, having that um, rig um, to a certain extent has elevated your experience playing the game. But um, what about the game itself uh, in terms of the updates? I think when the game was first introduced, there were a lot of people complaining, particularly about, um, um, you know, you you pay real money to buy credits. Um, but that's pretty much visible in almost every game, bar Baldur's Gate, right, apparently. But uh, the game, there was, there was a lot of, like, niggling issues at the start, um, particularly with, you know, how to navigate the, the menu systems. It was a little bit too... Um, stylistic i would say or rather stylized in a, in a way where the ui looks so beautiful and you kind of get what the what gran turismo is trying to you know um promote to you but it wasn't actually efficient to get around the menus and you know jump in and go for a drive and all that then there was complaints about you know the ai not being good enough and um uh the fact that you had to grind so much um do so much racing just to get an amount of credits to be able to afford this specific car that you need to go racing in another racing series. It became a whole tedious thing at the start. But I'm happy to say, like, you know, since what it's been one and a half years, right, since it's launched. So I think, you know, they've done so much in terms of updates that I think it's at a point where um, you really can't complain about it and you start treating it as it is what it is. This is, you know, Gran Turismo 7. It's, you know, every month they will provide three new cars plus one track or sometimes two tracks or new, new locations, new challenges. So the updates are always constantly happening. Um, and, you know, they're always trying to improve the game. But having said that, there are still some complaints about it, particularly with the fact that... Um, uh, they want to push you online all the time. And, um, you know, sometimes the offline modes, the ones that you have to grind to get credits to be able to afford the card that, you know, enables you to race quicker online. Those sort of events still are lacking. And, uh, you know, that's something that people like to beat Gran Turismo with a stick with. Um, but, you know, regardless, I think it's still... Uh, you know, a game that's continuously developing, Gran Turismo itself. Um, I think each title runs for at least three to four years, and we're only halfway there. And there's already so many improvements that we are uh, seeing to the game, and uh, so many new content additions, so many new updates to, um, you know, the operations of the game. There was, like I mentioned just now, there was, uh, you know, really big updates for people with sim rigs, uh, that helped you feel the car more, that helped you experience the car more. So um, I don't think it's perfect, but uh, I think it's very difficult to be, it's very, very difficult to to be a perfect game these days because, you know, I bet you when GTA 6 launches, everybody's going to be complaining about something. Mm. You know you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so far you, you, I mean, suffice to say, I think you're pretty happy still playing the game and, um, yeah. yeah. 
what else are you expecting from from Polyphony Digital in terms of in terms of the you know upcoming updates? Also, and to a certain extent, I mean, yeah, you're you're right in saying that we're only halfway through the franchise. But mm. um, are you already looking forward to Gran Turismo Eight? I suppose. <laughs> mm, in terms of whether I'm looking forward to Gran Turismo Eight, I don't know if I can in, even envision it to be honest, because like we are that point, I guess, in technology and gaming where VR is starting to actually take shape, right? And there's so many games with really brilliant um, VR graphics and VR responses and, and, you know, it might be part of the future. And currently also I'm thinking how much more photorealistic can Gran Turismo 7 get? What sort of content can, how will they be able to grow the game um, without, you know, making Gran Turismo 8 just another update of Gran Turismo 7, which is just another update of Gran, Gran Turismo Sport. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It feels like uh, this game is bound to last another five years, um, at least till then. And there will still be more updates, but I feel like the updates will have to do with um, how online matchmaking works or you know the sort of com- competitions available because uh, Gran Turismo is pushing quite a lot of, um, you know, global competitions. I think recently concluded last week, as in like mid-August, um, was the Toyota Gazoo Racing Gran Turismo Challenge. And it was advertised all in Malaysia. And I think they did something with, uh, uh, they did an event last week at uh, Sunway Pyramid. So, you know, they are pushing that esports very, very hard. And um, there's lots of, brand and money right behind it and lots of passion as well behind it. Um, so, you know, I think they'll be developing more more on that end, but not too much in terms of, um, you know, actual uh, full-fledged changes. Like, you know, it would, be, it would probably be like a 1.31 update, 1.32 update. It would, wouldn't probably be like a, you know, version 2.0 update. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, one thing other that's... Uh, Worth looking forward to, I think. Um, uh, I mentioned this quite a while back when they launched it as well. Um, uh, Sophie, if you remember, Hanif. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So mm. Gran Turismo Sophie is there, you know, co-developed by Sony. It's an AI, um, which essentially is able to drive, you know, faster and more and respond to your own driving inputs. Um, so it will, you know, actively try to defend you from taking his position or something like that. That is apparently bound to be introduced later next year or maybe, um, yeah, twenty twenty sometime in twenty twenty four. They released, I think, earlier this year, uh, like a short excerpt of it where you could challenge yourself against Gran Turismo Sophie, and it proved to be really, really, really difficult to win um, fairly. <laughs> You still can do the Gran Turismo hacks against the AI where, you know, you just block them off the racing line and push them off the track. They really mm-hmm. don't like that. But it is there. That, I think, will completely transform the whole offline racing experience. But, uh, you know, it remains to be seen uh, when it will come and how uh, extensive its introduction will be throughout the game. Uh, because it'll be really fun to do, like, 24-hour racing with an AI that actually... Uh, you know, knows when to expect the weather, for example. <laughs> mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, if it rains, then it's, they're all just, you know, in the barriers spinning left and right and center. 
Um, yeah, so those are two things possibly to look forward to. I don't expect too much in terms of you know content, but you know, uh, like I said, it's probably going to be a lot more AI focused, uh, AI focused as well as online focused as well. You're tuning to GG Wallplate and I've been speaking to Arif Roos, formerly the host of BFM's Cruise Control and a fan of Sony's Gran Turismo. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find this show on Spotify. Do share our thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Wallplate. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.